The next time you're flying into Northwest Arkansas, be sure and get a window seat and look out. And just watch the different patterns, the textures, the colors that make up Northwest Arkansas. When you look at us, you're going to see city landscapes. You're going to see high rises to some degree coming out of the ground. You're going to see schools and parking lots and asphalt. And you're going to see homes and subdivisions. You're going to see so much of the developed half a million people that make up Northwest Arkansas and the lives that we're living and what we know as normal. But also you're going to notice as you're flying in and the planes landing into the metropolis of Highfall, Arkansas, population just over 700, you're going to find green pasture lands and chicken houses and trees and, and a few cows even. You might even be sitting next to some city slicker who will be looking out wondering where in the world are we about to land as I have many times. And I chuckle to myself because it's happened multiple times. But you're also going to notice another landscape. It's going to be red. It's going to be disturbed. It's going to be the green grass disturbed. It's going to be trees knocked over and piled up, ready to be burned and discarded. You're going to see as if the world is being disturbed right before your very eyes. And somewhere in the middle, as you and I both know, is that developed land. Now, some people would look at that and call that people pollution, environmental destruction. Others would look at it and call that development, future income, future college education for my children. And which is it? The answer is yes, it's both. It is disturbance. It is development. When you look at the day in which we live, we are living in the day of disturbance where the earth is being moved before our feet, where the trees are being toppled over, where lives are being changed, homes will never be the same, and incomes are being totally turned upside down. We're living in a day of disturbance. And you and I both know, and we are all feeling it. And in this time, we need to understand and unpack what disturbance is. Disturbance is an interruption to the assumption. The assumption of way that you thought things were going to be, like the green pasture lands of serenity, of vegetation, of, of natural beauty, of watching God's creation move to and fro. You think for thousands of years that land has been that way. You assume it's always going to be that way. It's your assumption until there's a disruption. The disruption turns everything upside down. And that's exactly what we are experiencing today. Disruption is an interruption to our assumptions. We've experienced all kinds of disruptions before. In 9-11, in 2001, we experienced a disruption, an interruption to our assumptions. We thought our financial uh, uh, places were secure. We thought our, 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 our homeland would never be attacked like that. We thought everything was okay. And we have never gone back to the way things were since 9-11. Homeland security was, was developed in and out of that season of our life. 2008 hits. The global economic crisis in such a way that rocked banks, 
that caused banks, major blue chip banks to close and businesses to close and people to be foreclosed on that disrupted the assumption that everything was going to be okay financially. And we have never gone back. Banking regulations have changed. Life has been interrupted to the assumptions of what we thought were going to be. Enter COVID-19. And we are experiencing right now in the middle of a disruption of the assumption of the way we thought things would be, and we are experiencing it at ever levels. We're experiencing it on a financial level where people are not able to live with the financial security that we're experiencing it on a family level. We're experiencing it on an educational level. We're experiencing it in so many ways, even to the point that we're seeing the loss of life at catastrophic numbers. It's a disruption. It's an interruption to our assumption that things were not supposed to be this way. Spring break has come and gone and we'll never have, hopefully, a spring break like that again. Our lives have been interrupted, have been disrupted into the assumptions of our day. When you think about it, what has caused this? It's a microbe. A tiny microbe has entered into, into humanity and has forever changed us. A microbe has altered the life of six billion people on our planet. A microbe. You can fit five million microbes on the end of a pen, and yet we, in all of our strength and advancement and development in humanity, can't seem to stop a microbe. Our assumptions have been interrupted, and that's called disturbance or disruption. We are living in that. We are starting a new series today as we end the series in the Gospel of Mark along the lines of disruption. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at how do we navigate such seasons of life because it feels like we're so out of control, but yet we have a God who is in control. How can we believe that? How can we know that? 2,000 years ago, you talk about disruptions. There was a disruption 2,000 years ago that to this day on the shores of our life, we are filling the ripples. When I talk about that, I'm talking about an event that you know that we're marking on this very weekend. The death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man named Jesus. When Jesus came to this earth over 2,000 years ago, lived for 33 years, walked and talked and, and loved and lived on this earth, blessing people's life, changing people's lives, but then nobody would have anticipated the disruption of his death in such a violent Roman crucifixion. And certainly nobody would have believed in the assumption that he would come back to life again. But yet we are living in the midst of of a disruption. What can we learn from the disruption of 2,000 years ago? Today, we look at two disruptions that every year at this time, we come back and we revisit. So if you have beside you or with your family or by an, as an individual, you have your hope box that we've been talking about. Your hope box has in it, should have in it, a copy of the Gospel of Mark in a journal Bible. If you don't already have your Bible, grab it out of there and open it up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, where we're going to look at the very first disruption that we see in here. Because whenever you talk about this first disruption, it leads us to the second disruption. 
Because we cannot talk about an empty tomb until we first talk about a cruel cross. Whenever you come to this passage, we see the very first disruption is the cross disrupted the agenda. The cross disrupted the agenda. If you remember from our study in Mark, you remember that we've talked about this series as in crown and the cross. The crown and the cross. The crown represents the kingdom of God. 16 times in 16 chapters does Jesus refer to the kingdom of God. He does it again and again and again. He wants to come and establish the kingdom of God. But it was in chapter 8 that the flip of the script happened. He begins to talk about the cross. That was an unexpected element. It so jarred them that none of the disciples really understood what he was talking about. The cross disrupted their agenda. Whenever you look at the gospel, you find the cross. It was never mentioned in the gospel of Mark until chapter 8. And in chapter 8, where we are today, is when Jesus introduces the cross, that he was going to have to do the cross. He was going to die on a cross. Peter, his closest disciple, immediately raises his hand, calls out Jesus, says, Jesus, stop talking about the cross. It's not a part of the agenda. It's not a part of our plan. We have a marketing strategy. And Jesus disrupts the assumption, interrupts their assumption of what the plan would be. This is how the story goes. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, it says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. What a complete story he's telling here. And how does, how does Peter respond to that? It says in verse 32, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine? Jesus being rebuked by his disciple. But he's saying, Jesus, you can't talk about dying. It's not a part of our plan. Remember, our plan is you're establishing your kingdom. That means you're going to, you're going to coup d'etat, the, the Roman Empire. You, we're going to establish ourselves. And Jesus said, that's not my agenda. That's your agenda. That's not my agenda. And he literally rebukes Peter. In the following verses, it says in verse 33, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, the agenda of God. You've got your mind set on your agenda, on the things of man. What was the agenda of God? Let me pause just a moment. Have you noticed... And it's a stupid question, but have you noticed that there's a virus in the land? This is the way I would describe this virus. It's subtle. It's uh, undetectable. It's deadly. It's no respecter of persons, rich, young, poor, educated, uneducated. Nobody can escape the grasp of this microbe. Everyone is touched by it. Many people are carriers of the deadly disease. Humanity has, developed, has not developed a cure for it. When I describe that 
COVID-19 to you, you go, yes, 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 that's what we're living in. That's the disruption of our day. You got to remember, Jesus was living on God's agenda, not man's agenda. That's why he was trying to steer Peter to God's agenda. What was God's agenda? It wasn't COVID-19. It was what I want to call another microbe, another virus, the virus called Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 refers to AKA sin. And this is what it says in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death has spread like a virus, I might say, to all men because all have sinned. Let me read to you again those characteristics of COVID-19 and you can just insert Roman 5.12 because that's what we're talking about. It's subtle. It's undetectable. It's deadly. It's no respecter of persons. Everyone is touched by it. Many people, and I should say everybody, are carriers of this deadly disease and humanity hasn't developed a cure for it. The sin I speak of, the, the virus I speak of is sin. And it's why Jesus said he came. He said in Luke chapter 5, verse 31, that he did not come for those who are well. He came as a physician for the sick. The sick of what? The sick with this virus, this sickness, this disease, this Roman 5.12, as I call it, this sin. In fact, it says in, 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 in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, for he, for our sake, he made him, who's him? Jesus, to be sin. Jesus became sin, so, that, so who knew no sin, he knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took on sin. He took on our virus. Let me ask you this question, back in the medical world. How do you fight a virus? You fight a virus with a virus. You, somebody has the flu or doesn't want to get the flu, they take a flu vaccine. We're waiting to get a COVID-19 vaccine. How did God fight the virus of sin? He gave Jesus the virus of sin. Jesus took our sin. But notice what we took from him, the righteousness of God. We take his righteousness, he takes our sin, we become whole, he becomes the crucified Christ. Why was God so focused on the cross in the last six months of his life? Why was he telling his disciples he must die? It's because it was a part of the agenda of God. He had to go to the cross so that we could take on the righteousness of Christ. But there's a second disruption, if you will, that we are living in and we celebrate day in and day out and especially this time of year. And it is the disruption that the resurrection disrupted the assumption of hopelessness. Just like the cross interrupted the agenda, so the resurrection disrupts the assumption of hopelessness. You got to realize that when Jesus died on the cross, he was dead as anybody else would be dead. His disciples put a dead corpse in a in a tomb, sealed it shut. Everyone was weeping real tears because Jesus, their Savior, was dead. It was very, very real moment. Three days later, the women go back and carry on a tradition 
of Jewish history where you go and anoint the body some days after their passing. And it says in Mark 16, so if you want to find Mark 16, skip over a couple of pages in your Bibles, and it says this, And when Sabbath was passed, so now it's Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James uh, and, and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And when they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for, from, from the entrance of the tomb? Because they knew it was heavy and they knew it was sealed shut. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away and it was very large. And they entered into the tomb and they saw a young man sitting on their right, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed, as, as I would, rightfully so, be alarmed. They were alarmed. And they said to them, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. See, their life was just disrupted right then. There's no longer the Savior. No longer is Jesus in the tomb. He is now gone, disrupted. He tells them not to be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place, and they point to the place where he laid him. Go and tell, in an imperative command, the women are told to go where? Go and tell the disciples and Peter. And that he is going before you in Galilee. Let's rest on that for just a moment. Who preached the very first Easter message? At the very first resurrection of our Lord? It was a bunch of women going to a bunch of men and sharing the resurrection of our Lord. And an incredible thing happens. They make their way to the tomb. They see that he's alive. They meet him. They encounter him. An incredible story unfolds. The women go about their ways, and they were astounded, it says in Scripture, and they were afraid. What does that mean? They had a disruption in their life, which is an interruption to the assumption that once you're dead, you're dead. You can never be alive again. That was a disruption to their life. See, their assumption is you're dead, you're gone, you're finished, you're done. The, Jesus is never to, to be alive again. But there is hope because of the empty tomb. There's a disruption, an interruption to our assumption that life is over. No, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, for chapter 4, verse 13, he says, We do not grieve as those who have no hope, because we do have hope. We don't grieve as those without, without there's a life after death. We have hope. Romans 12, 12 tells us to rejoice in hope, even as you're patient in tribulation. Some of you are facing tribulation right now in the disruption of the COVID-19. You lost your job, your 401ks in the pot. You're, you're worried about health issues. My friends, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. That's what the scripture tells us because we have a resurrected Savior and we have hope in now and we have hope in all eternity because it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 that Christ in you is your hope of glory. Hope, hope, hope lines the pages of scripture because of a resurrected Jesus. My friends, we're celebrating the resurrection today. 
we've got some things in your hope box. If you take your hope box again, open it up, you'll find in there are lots of different elements in there. I'll let you go through that. Every week we're going to kind of come back and refer to the hope box, so we'll want to we'll want to come back to that. But in there you'll notice that there is a there's potting soil. There's there's elements for like a garden. We want you to disrupt that dirt. We have a hope garden that we want you to get your hands, get your kids' hands, get your neighbor's hands in. Obviously, wash your hands when you're finished. But come together and have fun building your hope garden. And over the next few weeks, we're going to let you see it grow and develop. And we're going to celebrate because hope is alive, my friends. And we celebrate that hope. See, disruption number one in this series of messages on disruption is this. You look for hope in darkness. Look for hope in darkness. The assumption is, is that there's no life after death. But the new reality is, there is life beyond death. And so, build your hope garden. Take photos of it. Post it online. We want to see your garden as we plant our garden. Tag Grace Point at, NWA, at Grace Point NWA tag us and we want to celebrate your work, your creation. But we're also going to do something else today as, as a family together, even though we can't be together, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And there's elements in your box and I'm sorry if elements didn't make it into your box because we just simply had an overrun of, of people wanting these uh, uh, hope boxes. But you can go in your kitchen right now, grab you some grape juice, grab some apple juice, grab you some uh, saltine crackers, grab you some Cheez-Its. Bring them together and let's talk about these elements. Andrew's going to come in a few moments and he's going to walk you through these elements. But real quickly, you're going to see there's two elements. There's bread and there's a cup, there's a grape juice, or there's apple juice, or whatever. As you have these elements together, I want you to remember that the bread, as you take it first, represents the life of Christ. That Jesus Christ came to earth, put on flesh, dwelt among us, lived, loved, and died, so that you and I could have life with Him. Celebrate the life of Christ. And then take the cup and celebrate the cross and the resurrection of Christ, that He spilt His blood for us. Take that juice and remember. Do it in remembrance of Him. If you're a follower of Jesus today, we invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. If you've never given your life to Christ, I would say right now where you are, before you take these elements, just ask Jesus, Jesus, I want you to disrupt my life. I want you to interrupt my life with the resurrected Jesus. Would you come into my life? Would you make me whole? Would you make me complete? In Jesus' name.